hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Sucker Time. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy. Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw. Like the man says, it's me, Mark Hershaw. And I'm to be your host and 100% recyclable container for Epi 132 of Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast. This is actually an edition of Succotash Chats, the variety where I feature a conversation instead of a bunch of clips from comedy podcasts. This time around, our special guest is Danny LaBelle. Tell you more about him in a moment. First of all, apologies for this episode being late. I uh, had to do some... Uh, oral surgery, nothing major, but had a couple of teeth that had to come out, and uh, so I was laid up for a few days, and uh, not in the best of voice. Hopefully, I'm back now. Anyway, Danny LaBelle, he's a comedian, also the host of the Modern Day Philosophers podcast. He interviews comedians, but it's a nice twist on the typical talker, because once they cover some of the usual ground in an interview, Danny reveals a philosopher that's been selected for each particular guest. He and the guests then learn about the philosopher at the same time. Danny keeps himself from knowing who they're going to talk about by having his producer select the philosopher and the information about them. He's had some terrific guests since the show's been on, people like Carl Reiner, Bill Burr, Jackie Mason, Maria Bamford, and Lewis Black. This past week, though, he interviewed Brian Regan, who I'm a big fan of, so I thought it'd be fun to talk to Danny about that experience, how he came up with the concept for modern-day philosophers, and stuff like that. I'll play a little clip from that chat, but you're probably going to want to grab the whole interview between Danny and Brian, which you can do at moderndayphilosophers.net. That show's also up on iTunes, of course, like most of the podcasts around these days. And you can find it on Stitcher, and I think he's up on SoundCloud as well. In addition to this episode's chat, we have a double dose of our Bursto Durst with political comedian and social commentator Will Durst. Some original tunage from our friend Abner Surd, a dip into the tweet sack, and the whole thing is brought to you by our non-paying sponsor. Friends, it's no secret that at Henderson's Pants, we don't like to see anyone go without a snappy pair of trousers. From working stiffs on the factory floor to high-powered honchos in their penthouse offices, Henderson's has been cradling their buttocks every step of the way. But what about the fop, the dandy, that urbane gent about town preoccupied with little else than his manners and his clothing? It doesn't matter that a feat snobbery went out well over 50 years ago. When the fops went out the door, Henderson's pants went with them, and we've stayed with them too. You generally won't find Henderson's fancy pants for fops on a casual shopping spree, but if you're a pretentious popinjay, just give your local Henderson's pants salesperson that snide smirk. You've got down to a science, and you'll be shown into our private fitting area in no time flat. You'll be seated comfortably with a brandy in hand and a snoot full of snuff, watching a parade of the latest fancy pants parade right by you. With any luck at all, you'll favor us with a fitting, and although we never dare hope to be so lucky, you might even leave the premises with a fresh pair, <laughs> dare we say two, of Henderson's fancy pants for fops under your arm. Originally designed for 
for syphilitic poets, renaissance painters, and Beau Brummel. We'd ask you to tell your friends, but we know that you don't actually have any. Fancy Pants for Fops from Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1491. Now back to Succotash. Ah, thank you, Bill Haywatt. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about show business awards season and being forced to wrap ourselves in industrial strength saran wrap to avoid drowning in the leakage of enough weepy insincerity to fill an Olympic-sized swimming pool with the unending torrent of ego-splooey. Alas, the political world remains bereft of a similar love fest, except the ultimate extravaganza next January 21st on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. So let's give our hard-working politicians the credit they so richly do or don't deserve with some made-up silliness also known as Will Durst's 21st Annual Political Animal Awards. Best Actress in a Leading Role Hillary Clinton, for her convincing portrayal of a 69-year-old grandma befuddled by her email. Where do I put the stamp? (laughs) The Pot, the Kettle, and the Color Black Award goes to Glenn Beck for calling Donald Trump unstable. The Unclear in the Concept of Payback Award, Mitch McConnell, for his unilateral determination that a presidential term lasts only three years. The Why Won't Anyone Return My Calls Award, Democratic Division, Anthony Weiner, John Edwards, and Elliot Spitzer. The Why Won't Anyone Return My Calls Award, Republican Division, Mark Sanford, David Vitter, and the entire Bush family. The Kibitzing Award, Pope Francis. The Al Gore Charisma Implant Award, Ohio Governor John Kasich. The Methinks the Lady Doth Protest Too Much Award, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan for his insistence that he is not a candidate. The Whatever Happened To Award, Obamacare. The Everybody Should Have a Pony Award, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. And finally, the best bet to be short-sheeted by a Mexican maid at the Republican Convention Award, a tie, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. For Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. Thank you, Mr. Durst. I'm happy to report, by the way, that we will soon, on these very pod waves, have our first full-fledged interview with Will since we started Succotash five years ago. That's right. He's been doing the Burst of Durst's, uh, I think, since the second year. But this will be the first time I actually sit down with Will, and we actually have an honest-to-goodness conversation. So that's going to be fun. I'm going to sit with him next week. He's uh, headlining at the Punchline here in San Francisco. In the meantime, however, you can feel free to cyberstalk him if you want at his home site, willdurst.com, or follow him on Twitter, at Will Durst. I've got one more Burst of Durst coming up at the far end of the show, as well as Abner Surd and the Tweet Sack, but for now, let's get into my chat with Danny LaBelle. It's Skype, so there's a little bit of audio weirdness here and there, but nothing you can't handle, I'm sure, and I will see you on the other side of this. Welcome to Succotash. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, we have clipped uh, your your podcast, Modern Day Philosophers, a couple times before, and I've uh, reviewed it a couple of times in uh, Split Cider, 
And, Much appreciated, uh, by ab- the way. Absolutely. Um, but uh, you have a special episode uh, coming up, so let's we'll talk about that. But I also want to find out more about, about you and your background. If you've got time to hang out, that would be great. I sure do. Terrific. Uh, you've got this special show coming up on the, on the twentieth, and it's not it's not special in that it's it's uh, coming out of uh, sequence as you normally drop your shows. But you have a special guest coming up. Right. I have uh, on the show one of uh, arguably one of the best uh, comedians alive, besides me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Brian, that's Brian Regan. Brian Regan. Yeah, I'm super excited for people to hear this. Uh, it's, a fan, it's a fantastic get, I must say. I congratulate you on that alone. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, the show's been going now for nearly three years, I think. At least over two. Yeah, that's amazing. I've really lost track of time out here. And uh, and you've had some great guests on, many of whom uh, I know, many of whom are actually friends of mine, because I've been in comedy for a long time. Um, oh, great. But uh, just uh, scrolling through your, your site, I'm seeing... Mark Marin and Aisha Tyler and Bill Burr, Carl Reiner, um, Lewis Black, and I've heard a number of these shows as well. And uh, it, it's kind of fascinating. Why don't you tell my listeners, uh, those who aren't familiar with you or modern-day philosophers, uh, the sort of tack you take on the show. It isn't just a straight-ahead interview show. It isn't a couple of guys just talking about um, pop culture and, and movies. But right. uh, you take a very decided uh, approach to your discussions. Yeah, well, actually, I try to stay away from things like pop culture and movies. One of the things going into this that I really wanted was for it to feel evergreen when people come to them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things come up, though, but rarely, and I try to steer away from that. I don't want to talk about what's in the theaters now. I don't really want to timestamp these too much, in, in you know, except for the fact that this is a moment in that person's life, like, you know, I, w- I want people to know, oh, this is what that person was like at this age when I talked to them, t- to some extent. Yeah. It, I really, when I was a kid, before I was even into comedy, I was always into portraiture. I, I paint, and I still paint portraits. And um, that's that's the, you know, it sounds really, I don't know, it sounds very um, pretentious almost to to say that, but... Maybe I'm being pretentious. I don't care anymore. Uh, if people think I'm pretentious, uh, I really I can't. I'm not interested in what they think. I hope they like the show, but I think of it as a portrait. And I, I sit down, and uh, we get a photo with the guest, and I try to have a photo just of the guest. Mm-hmm. Of, of, and I have, and I think of it as like the the um, visual portrait, and then the audio portrait. Oh, and if you, if you go on the Modern Day Philosophers, uh, moderndayphilosophers.net website, you can kind of see the pictures that go along, the portrait that goes along with the portrait. But that's really, the, the philosophy, the interesting thing is I'm not somebody who's really that into philosophy. I, I like it, but uh-huh. I, I'm, not, I'm not somebody who can really quote any philosophers to you. And when people say, oh, you do a philosophy podcast, and they come at me with quotes from their favorite philosophers and everything. I like philosophy, but I, I see it more, 
uh, as an opportunity to get the comedian's philosophies. That's that's really what I love love about the show. Yeah, and I think that's really kind of the the you know clearly once once you've heard the show, you understand what the title means, which is, I mean, you're you're a stand up as well, and stand up comics. I think really looking back, even towards kind of the early days of of stand up coming out of vaudeville they really were sort of you know these sort of the closest thing we kind of have to philosophers somebody to hold a mirror up to society and you know show us through their words and through their observations what's sort of going on it's you know obviously from a very uh personal standpoint um but uh i mean how do you feel about about sort of that distillation of 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 what you're what you're doing I think it's definitely a big part of comedy. It's not the only part of comedy. There's certainly comedians that aren't philosophers so much. Uh, there are comedians that are really just joke tellers and, mm-hmm. and nothing more, and they don't want to be categorized as philosophers. I, I'll leak something else. I have an upcoming episode I, I recorded uh, this week with Doug Stanhope, mm. and we kind of have that conversation in depth. Okay. About how there are comedians who are philosophers, and there are comedians who... Well, you never call the philosopher. I don't want to be called the philosopher. Of course, of course. Um, but this show, the whole there's a lot of backstory to how this show came about. But I used to sell merchandise for Jackie Mason at his Broadway shows. Okay. And and uh, and I had him on a recent episode too. I'll plug them all. These episodes, I love them and I'm proud of them, and I want people to listen to them. Uh, and Jackie and I became very good friends for years. And we're still friends, really good friends. And uh, he introduced me to George Carlin one night when Carlin came to his Broadway show. It was a night that I wasn't working, and he called me up, and he's like, Hello, hello, you want to meet Georgie Carlin? And I was like, Georgie? George Carlin? Yes, I want to meet him. Of course. So I, okay, nobody asked you to get so dis- so excited. It's disgusting. Calm down. You sound like a teenage girl or something. I don't know. I remember he was busted my balls a lot but I went down and he gave me this incredible introduction to George Carlin here I'm this young comedian and he's like this guy is a phenomenal comedian and he talked me up to him and and, and made me feel like a million dollars and it spawned this this great friendship that I had for four years with George Carlin uh, until he ended it by dying and uh, I hate when the friendships end that way yeah it was really rude but uh, the day that, that Carlin died Jackie called me that morning and goes you know something he was he was more than just a comedian. He was he was a modern day philosopher, and mm. and I remember thinking, wow! In Jack, in Jackie's opinion, it's even greater to be to be this thing. I mean, maybe that is essentially at the very core of, you know, in my opinion, what makes a comic a, a great comic to my taste is that they're also philosophizing up there, and that's true of you know. One of my all-time favorite comedians, who's also unfortunately not with us anymore, Patrice O'Neill, sure. who I always had tremendous respect for and looked up to and, and loved what he did. And he was a philosopher to me. I would listen to him, and on and off stage, he was always philosophizing. And George Carlin, a philosopher. And Jackie, a philosopher. And, and so many of the guys I've interviewed are, to me, great philosophers. Um, and and uh, and Stanhope and I were talking about how Louis really a philosopher. Um, so where was I going with this? Anyway, for a long time I was thinking, man, I really I know nothing about philosophy because I was a terrible student, <laughs> and uh, I, I really just got through college as quickly uh, as I possibly could, just so I could get to doing comedy. I knew that's what I wanted to do, 
And I was like, I, I did com I did college to please my parents, so they couldn't get on my case for my whole life, saying, "How come you never did college?" That's the only reason I did it. And, uh, <laughs> it's absolutely true. I was going to drop out, and uh, the week that I was planning on dropping out, I got a CD off Laugh.com. It was an interview that somebody did with Jerry Seinfeld. And they asked him when he knew he wanted to be a comedian. It was very early on. They said, well, why did you go to college then? He says, I was in college, and then I figured out I wanted to be a comedian, and I thought about dropping out of college, but then it occurred to me that I didn't want to set that precedent for my life where I don't finish things. Hmm. He, said, he thought that would be very, a very detrimental thing for him to do that. And I, and I said, okay. I felt like it was a direct message to me to finish college. I said, I, okay, I get it. It's, it's, it's within a day or two of me deciding to drop out, and it spoke to me personally. So I, I finished it up. But I never cared about it, and I never put much into it. I was always at the radio station, and I, I, I put out the very first comedy podcast to interview comedians. And, and that, that was, you know, I had all these comedians come to the college. Even George Carlin came. And that, that's what I was focused on in college. And definitely don't remember anything from my philosophy class. <laughs> and, then, and then when Jackie said that, it really stuck with me for a long time. Maybe I should really learn philosophy. And I've always been, uh, you know, very interested in religion. And I've learned a lot of religious philosophy. And, and then I was like, I want to hear what all the other guys have to say, you know, besides... You know, Maimonides. I wanted to hear what everybody... I, I wanted to hear what all the other philosophers had to say. And I sat down and I tried to learn some philosophy on my own. And it was like gibberish to me. I couldn't make out what the heck... And it was actually a Maimonides book that I was trying to get through. Guide for the Perplexed. It's very perplexing. And uh, I was like, maybe I should... I told my wife, maybe I should go on Craigslist and see if anybody wants to tutor me in philosophy very cheaply. <laughs> I can get some ghetto philosophy teacher off Craigslist. <laughs> so, just, I don't have much money still, <laughs> and I thought that might be that might be the way the way to go. Is that a, is that a, is that a big segment on Craigslist? The uh, the street philosopher? <laughs> yeah, it's right under Casual Encounters. Mm. It's uh, ghetto philosophy <laughs> teachers. Um, <laughs> there's always postings like, "Will teach philosophy ten dollars a session or best offer." So. Um, <laughs> so, so my wife said, don't you have a friend you could just sit down and do this with and I thought well my friends are comedians and I thought of course that'd be perfect I gotta I gotta do this with a comedian and I, I saw Matt Kirshen at a, at a party and I said hey you wanna come over and learn philosophy sometime which is a weird question he goes he goes you mean like as a podcast <laughs> I was like yes that's what I mean because <laughs> comedians will never even talk to each other now unless you put microphones in front of them. That's right. It's That's like right. a waste of our time. <laughs> you want to have a conversation? Are the mics on? No? We'll save it for the podcast. There you go. Nobody even wants to talk to each other. <laughs> if there's, if there's no camera. Jerry Seinfeld won't even have coffee with people. <laughs> it's a true story. He only has as many cups of coffee every year as are on the show. That's not true. <laughs> I don't know. Um,. But uh, so Matt was your first philosopher co-student. Yeah, and then I thought about it. I really want to get the philosophies of the comedians, and that that developed over the first season of the show. I started thinking, I'm I like the philosophy of these philosophers, but it's a great tool to bring out the philosophy of the comedian I'm talking to by bouncing their ideas off these comedians. And a lot of the times we don't even get the the quotes right. I'm sure we don't. You know. I, 
I'm sure the philosopher meant a totally different thing than what we fig- what we ca- what came to from it. But I don't think it's any less significant what we came to. I think that's. It's get- I think that's insightful. I think. I mean, we're you know the the content we take in, whether it's philosophers speaking or a movie, uh, it really is subject to our how our filter process works and what we take away from it. Exactly. And I've had like a few like real philosophy. And by the way, I have to say this for philosophy people. I was, you know, philosophy nerds. Yeah, let's talk about them. I, I happen to, I happen to get a ton of emails that are very positive from these people who are much smarter than me that listen to the show, and overwhelmingly a lot, a lot of love. And I also host uh, an after show now for uh, the Partially Examined Life, and those guys are phenomenal, and they get the philosophy and they put in the work. They read the books for months before they talk about them, and these guys have great heads on their shoulders for philosophy, and their fans uh, are, are tremendous. And I, I've become, they wanted somebody who could do, like, keep the conversation moving and, and talk about the episodes after they air and, and make it funny, and they hired me to do that, and I've been doing it for well, over a year now anyway, and it's been, it's been great. Oh, and these guys, these guys, they know I'm an idiot compared to them. <laughs> they don't care. They're very gracious and really wonderful, uh, and, and they enjoy what I'm doing, too. So that said, I have had a few really negative uh, emails from philosophy nerds, and, it, it's, and, it, and when I say a few, I think maybe only three, oh, okay. but, they were all, but they were significantly negative enough that I thought about them, where they're like, you, don't, you didn't get this, this and this philosopher's philosophy at all, uh, you, you have no business talking about it, and I was thinking, man, did they miss the point. Exactly. Because, exactly. because it's not, you know, it's not about the philosopher as much as it's about the comedian and what do we get out of that? Well, just think, you know, over the years, the, the you know, looking back centuries, the, the parlor, you know, conversations in, in front of the fireplace, people discussing Plato and other philosophers and their teachings and, and really arguing over what they meant. I mean, it's, it's as... Um, you know, egregious to uh, blame you for not getting a philosopher's uh, thinking right as it is to talk about religious writings or anything else. It's totally subject to interpretation. Absolutely. We're interpreters. Yes. And that's that's another thing comedians are great at. We're great at interpreting. And, and, I, and I really like to think that if some of these philosophers would listen to these shows, they'd get a kick out of them. And they, they'd say, you know what, I wasn't saying that, but now that I hear them say it, I like it. You know, <laughs> I don't know if they changed their whole philosophy, but I can imagine, I, I can imagine like, uh, you know, Kant listening to this thing and going, yeah, 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 that, uh, that is what I meant. You know, just trying to cover it up, like, oh, I like where they're coming from better, you now, know. Now, do you, do you have comics on that, that are true students of one philosopher or another? Sometimes, yeah. Like when we did the one with, on Spinoza with Mark Marin, he specifically requested Spinoza. I don't really like to do the ones where they request it as much because then the other thing about the show, there's this really, really funny, clever guy who picks up the philosophers, Alex Fasella, who's a comedian in his own right and a comedy writer, and he's, he's really, uh, you're, everybody's going to hear about him soon because he's doing a lot of great things. He's out in New York. Okay. And, and he, sends, he sends the philosophers, and he's the, he's the, you know, the mad mastermind that picks up which philosopher goes with which comedian. Oh, interesting. And, 
and he's like, uh, I don't remember which comedian said it, that he's like Charlie from Charlie's Angels. It's <laughs> the mission, you know. <laughs> Somebody on my show said that. Um, and uh, but anyway, I always I never look at the philosophy before the comedian comes on the show for two reasons. One, I'm lazy, <laughs> and, and and two, because I don't want to turn into a teacher. Like I don't want to look at it and then decide what I think it means, and then spend the show telling a comedian what I think it means, or even learn what it actually means, and then we could, we could lose a great conversation based on what we think it means. So it's a journey of co-discovery. It's a journey of co-discovery. In, in, the, in Jewish uh, schools and yeshivas, they call it chavrusa-style learning, which means like learning with a friend. It's two people picking apart the same thing together and using their brains to, to come to it together i don't want to i don't want to be the teacher and i don't like when the comedian is the teacher so in situations where the comedian picks the philosopher if it's somebody like mark maron who's like a bigger comedian i'm not going to fight it and i'll be like yeah sure thank you and i appreciate you doing the show but it's not my preference i really mm-hmm. want somebody that we both have no idea who who this guy is what this guy thought and then we could try and come to it on our own right. and when i did this one with doug stanhope uh we were also drinking, which is maybe the only time I was drinking doing the podcast, which is a lot of fun. But you should do that more because I, I understand a lot of philosophers drank, so yeah, it might you know, actually I, help you get on their wavelength. I think that drunk philosophy is not is not as great an idea as like that show Drunk History, <laughs> because uh, it, it is harder to figure out these concepts when you're drunk. And, and Doug and I, I don't know that we really did get too much out of that philosopher. We had a great conversation and an insightful, interesting one, and it's, it's everything I want the show to be, but I don't know specifically that that was a case where we really discovered too much from the philosopher. Or maybe we did. I, I mean, it's hard to say. That's interesting. How, if, if at all, has doing the show changed your stand-up, your own comedy writing? Has it had any effect on it? You know, I, people have asked me that question, and I don't really know the answer. I could come up with an answer that'll sound good enough for you to to, to validate the question. It doesn't matter. And, but uh, I mean, I think everything that I do collectively informs who I am, and whoever I am informs what I write for the stage. I'm not really writing like jokes now, where I'm like, you know, and Plato said this. And my neighbor, he's like, you know... I don't, yeah. <laughs> no, of course, of course not. I, I just... It, it, it affects my comedy writing, maybe, in that I've been more insightful in it. Uh, I don't know if that's 100% true, though. I don't hmm. have an agenda when I sit down to write anything. I just write based on funny. Yeah. So I never, I never am like, I want to write this kind of material. Or, or like, oh, this is inspiring. I'm going to start writing like this now, because I try when I what I try to do with my comedy is I really try to represent me, uh, the essence of me, on stage as best as I possibly can. Which also sounds shitty and pretentious, but that's really what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm trying to like, you know, present the spirit of Danny Lobel's uh, humor on stage. I'm, 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 I'm not, that's it. I'm not, and even when I'm doing that, I'm not sitting down thinking I want to do that. I'm just thinking I want to really present to the world how I see it funny. 
That's great. Now, how how has your uh, your family been in terms of support? I mean, you you know, or your do you have siblings or parents that listen to the show at all? Um, yeah, one of my brothers listens to the show pretty regularly. He has long drives to to school, so he has time for podcasting. Um, I always think it's funny, like random strangers listen to the show much more than any family or friends of mine. <laughs> I think my family and friends get enough of me in real life, and they're like, "We don't also need to listen to you on the, you know, but somebody in <laughs> Seattle will like listen to everything I've ever done and quote them back to me and stuff." And yeah, I was just telling oh, her, wow. I was telling a friend of mine today. They said, "Hey, is your wife listening to the show?" I said, "My wife told me when I first started doing the show, I do not need to listen to you for another hour." <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I should change my wife. To her credit, has listened to almost all of them. Oh, that's good. You know, actually, I, I, I actually, when you said family, I was thinking those are the ones I grew up with. But my wife's my family too, and uh, yeah, she does listen to them. That's she good. listens to them. She was telling me she loved this most recent one I did with Professor Irwin Corey. That's like now her favorite episode. Oh, that's great. And that that was, uh, and she was with me when I recorded it, and she thought it was terribly boring at the time. But once I, I edited it and put it together as a podcast. She's listened to it twice. Wow. She couldn't believe it. She, th- she thought she was going to listen for five minutes and turn it off, and she loved it. That's and great. he's 100, 102 years old. We yeah. recorded it when he was 100. Because wow. It takes me forever to do things. So. Wow, unbelievable, man. I, I've heard he's still still around, which is just amazing. And he was sharp. He was sharp. The only thing was that his hearing was bad, so his grandson was sitting next to him the entire time, and every time I, everything I said, his grandson would re-yell it into his ear. So I'd be like, how are you? And his grandson would go, how are you? <laughs> and, and he goes, eh, you know, miserable. <laughs> uh, so, so how did uh, how did Brian Regan take to to doing the show? I mean, was he was he interested in first of all? The, he must have been interested in the premise to agree to do the interview. For the sake of comedy, I'd love to tell you he hated it and it went terrible. <laughs> Thanks for interviewing me about it. <laughs> 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 you want to talk to me about Brian Regan on this show? Worst episode I've ever done. <laughs> um, no, it was really great. I, I'm like I said earlier. I really can't wait for people to hear it. We laughed so much. It's such a funny show, and I think I learned a lot about Brian Regan. And I'm a big, big fan of Brian Regan's. And I've listened to so many Brian Regan interviews, which also made it stand out from the other shows where I really haven't listened to too many interviews with these mm-hmm. people who I'm interviewing. And I and I kind of like that too because I'm coming to it so fresh. But with Brian Regan, I it was a cha- I was I, the whole drive. I went to do it in, in Las Vegas. That's where he lived. The whole the whole time in the car, I was just thinking, how am I going to make this original? How am I going to make this different? I don't want it to be like all those other interviews. There's so much stuff that he's covered over and over again in these interviews, and I I want to give a fresh and and deeper take on Brian Regan with this thing and. I really want it to be something special, and I think it is. That's great. So, well, first of all, I, you're yeah. probably the only interviewer that he's talked to that, that has some sort of interest in getting to uh, something about philosophy, which uh, probably helps set it apart, I would assume. Right. Can you reveal what philosopher you guys discussed? I can't reveal it. Okay. All right. Listeners uh, will know, just have to tune in. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I, you, know why I can't, you know why I can't reveal it? Because you can't remember. I've already forgotten. <laughs> I like. 
let's just say Socrates, and then people can go and say, <laughs> wait a minute, it wasn't Socrates at all. It's never about, for me, who I'm talking about. It's about who I'm talking to. Yes, of and, course. Yeah. And the person I'm talking about is just somebody to use to bounce off of, to, to try and get some depth of who the person I'm talking to uh, is, you know? Yeah. It's uh, been interesting. I've really been on a wild comedy roller coaster ride with this thing of, you know, I did the Carl Reiner interview and it wound up leading to me hanging out with Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner at Carl's house for dinner one night. That's fantastic. I've, 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 you know, I caught up and reconnected with Jackie Mason after we'd lost touch and we're great friends again now because of it. And we ran around the city in the, in the rain because he was, because he's such a character. He refused to do it at his apartment. I met him at his apartment, you know, <laughs> I, and he didn't want to stay in. He goes, I don't, he goes, when I listen to wish an interviewer a show, it's very boring to have no ambient noise. I'm like, but ambient noise isn't great for a podcast, Jack. He goes, of course, it's nonsense. It's not great. If people want to get an experience of what it's like, if you want to hang out with Denny Lobel and Jackie Mason, you, where, would, where would we hang out? We'd hang out in a diner. That's the experience you got to give people. The, 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 the experience of New York City and the noise in the background, and, and it's much more interesting. And I said, but I'm worried that people aren't going to hear you, you know, because <laughs> of all the, the noise. He goes, so I'll tell you something. We'll find a place that you're happy with, and it's not too loud, and, 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 and then we'll, we'll do it that way. Well, it makes sense. I, I interviewed Greg Proops at a restaurant in, in L.A., and it w- turned out it just got louder and louder as we were sitting there. We got there before lunch, and then just more and more people kept coming in. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So we went we went first to one place, and I said, this place is too loud. Then we went to another place, and Jackie didn't like the vibe in that place. He says, I don't like it. I don't get a good energy, a good feeling here. We'll go somewhere else. And, we, and then he took me to another place, and it's pouring rain in the city. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm running around with Jackie in a bag of recording equipment. And we go to this other place. He goes, I can't believe this place is closed. I thought it was open. I thought it was two, two days ago I thought this was open. I can't believe they closed. All right. <laughs> we, then we hail a cab in the rain, and like Jackie and I he, are running in the street into a cab and then pouring rain, and he, he, he goes, I know just the place, so we go to this diner, and it is empty, and they, they agree to turn the music down, so I'm like, this is good, but then as the interview progresses, it, as you said, it gets busier and busier and louder and louder in the diner, and Jackie, I think he didn't want to admit that he was wrong, that we shouldn't, that we should do this in a diner, so he was, he was really forcing himself to get louder and louder to talk over the people. I think because I, I know him. I think it's just to prove to me like it's not a big deal. And then he went hoarse. <laughs> <laughs> so, we had, <laughs> so we didn't really get to talk too much about Martin Luther. We, as we were getting into that, he had lost his voice. Oh, and he goes, you, he goes, you know, uh, we just talked so long that I lost my voice. And I'm like, I'm thinking, but that's because it got so loud in here. But anyway... I, it's still a great. It's a great interview and a great episode, and it means a lot to me because, you know, out of all the people I, I talk to, he's probably, you know, one of the people that actually really means a lot to me personally. Mm, yeah, him and Maddie Goldberg, who is a much less known comedian, but a, a very good friend of mine for many years in, in comedy, are the are the people who are really closest to my heart that I've interviewed. So for me, it didn't matter. We didn't really get too much into. And the, and the story of it all, and you know, just all these stories that have come out of it, hanging with Mel, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner and talking to Irwin Corey with his grandson yelling into his ear <laughs> and getting drunk in the desert recording with Doug Stanhope and, you know, driving out to Vegas and 
and and meeting with Brian Regan and meeting him for the first time and 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 that's this coming episode that I mean it was just a very exciting experience for me so just to meet to meet this guy who I've always wanted to meet and also at the same time as first meeting him uh recording and interviewing with him you know that's interesting um not having had any previous uh, encounter with him would be an interesting way to do it because uh he used to work uh, Cobb's Comedy Club here in San Francisco a lot uh, before he, you know, sort of got out of the comedy club-sized rooms. Uh, and I got a chance to hang out with him a few times, and uh, he is a really interesting guy to talk to. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing the interview. Is there anything in particular from that talk that you can remember that listeners should look out for? Any sort of uh, moments that you thought were kind of, wow, I can't believe I just caught that? Yeah, there were a lot. I mean, it was interesting to hear Brian Regan talk about the fact that as a younger comic, he experienced jealousy. I never would have thought that. And he was so candid and, about it and, and very vulnerable and, and honest. And it was, I thought it was very beautiful like to hear somebody like that also be like so relatable to me. I, I mean, I know he's just a guy, and I realize that all these guys or women that I talk to are just guys or women. I, I, I've, I, I know that you know just because somebody's more famous or anything else like that, you know, everybody's going through the same nonsense. But it was just, I never heard him talk about that. I, I enjoyed hanging out in comedy clubs. I enjoyed it. You know, it was like uh, being around other comedians and watching comedy and doing comedy. And and also the, the ability to kind of climb the ladder, so to speak. And, you know, I went from not being able to get on at all to, wow, I've... I can go into a comedy club and they they just put me on, you know, and uh yeah. but then when I moved out to LA, you know, you, you you hear this from a lot of people, but there there's, there's a difference in the comedy community in LA as opposed to New York. There's more jealousies, there's more things like that. And I found <laughs> for me Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it seemed like in New York, the the guy doing the best and the guy doing the worst, it wasn't that big of a disparity. Mm-hmm. Like if you were going on at two o'clock in the morning at a comedy club and there was another guy going on earlier, you knew that that guy was headlining at a comedy clubs, you know, and he's like, he's yeah. making $1,400 a week. You know, that that was, you could see yeah. that. You could see, well, if I keep doing this, I could headline and make, you know, and, and headline comedy clubs. In L.A., the disparity was so wide, there'd be a guy who cannot get on at all standing next to a guy making a million dollars a week <laughs> on yeah. a sitcom, you know? And it was, the, the it's sort of like the, you know what they complain about with the economy. You know, like the 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 the, the income that the the richest yeah. people are making too much money. It's sort of like that way with the comedy world in L.A. It it was way too much of a a chasm, you know. And so I think with that, there's going to be jealousies. There's going to be people that man, I wish I had this or I wish I had that. When you're talking about the jealousy, are you talking about other people? Did you find yourself jealous as well, or I had some. You know, I, I, I'll cop to my share of it, you know, and I, I always tried to guard against it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not one of these people that, well, well why does he have it? You know, I, I was happy when anybody made it. It, it was mm-hmm. never that I didn't want somebody else to 
get plucked, so to speak. And I was always happy for anybody that had that happen to them. Yeah. But you can't help but go, how come they're not grabbing me to do one sure. of these shows, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... And um, so I didn't enjoy hanging out in the comedy clubs as much. You know, it was too, too clicky. Is that why you don't hang out in the clubs nowadays? I mean, I've never seen you. I've seen pretty much everybody else hanging out in clubs. I've never seen you hang out. I, I, I like to a little bit more lately just because I'm, I, miss, I, I miss, you know, hanging with comedians, you know. So mm-hmm. just like this last week, I was in uh, St. Louis. I did my show, and then we went over to Helium Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. And just hung out. Um, Marlon Wayans was performing, and uh, I'd never seen him do stand up live, you know, so we'd go and watch his show and hang out afterwards. And, you know, I like to do it every now and then. And I'd also, uh, I don't know, we just had a lot of great moments in there talking. Another thing that stuck out for me was uh, when I asked him about moving to Las Vegas and, and leaving LA, and the answer that he had was, uh, that he had had a kid, and his kid goes, uh, Daddy, Daddy, look how fast I am. And uh, he's like, he ran from one side of the apartment to the other in three seconds. He's like, all right, we need a bigger place for this kid. <laughs> and, they, and they moved out to, to Vegas just to have some space because it's so expensive in L.A. And he was, he was still coming up as a comedian at the time. <laughs> but that was just terrific. The kid could run the whole place in like three seconds. I, you know, so... Um, I don't know. I wanted to talk to him about about his life outside of comedy, and I talked to him about he loves organizing things. I thought that was interesting, and that the only other person I remember telling me that was back at my my original podcast, Comical Radio, when George Carlin came on. He, he told me, you know, he loves organizing, which anybody could could have gathered from his stuff material, but you know, but he was a meticulous organizer. I think it's interesting. Because I've always drawn parables between Regan and Carlin in my mind, not just because they're both Irish, but um, <laughs> but I, I've, I've always seen a lot of. But organizing, I, organizing like an anal retentive way, or just kind of like yeah, like putting things in Tupperwares and categorizing them, and um, like I, you know, that's what he he told me he likes to do for fun, and in his spare time he loves to organize things. <laughs> I, I thought that was very interesting to. And I don't think there's anywhere else where Brian Regan talks about his love of organizing. That's funny. Um, but it's, it's but funny I the comedy gambit. I, I think one of uh, I think one of your your past guests as a good buddy of mine is Rick Overton. Didn't you have him on the show? I love Rick. I love Rick. Yeah, he was one of the first. Maybe he was the second guest on the show. And Rick is the most disorganized person I've ever met in my life. I mean, I. Uh, I moved to L.A. for a while, and uh, when I first got down there, he goes, hey, pal, you can stay at my place. And all right. So he says, yeah. Nobody, that was a bad Rick Overton impression. Nobody, nobody's using my office. You can go. And I had literally had to kick a pathway to the, the sofa bed through the crap that was on the floor. And he was uh-huh. he was going out with this woman at the time who said, I just relate Rick's apartment to what the inside of his mind must look like. <laughs> right. And I was thinking that, too, about Regan. Like, it's such organized material, and Carlin's such organized material, too. Yeah. Carlin was, the, was a great organizer. If you look at his act, everything was written and rehearsed and categorized and, you know, I don't yeah. know. I just, you know, Brian Regan, the same thing. These guys are great organizers. It's, and, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting just to see how the different comics do organize their material and how it relates to their life. Um, I've spent a lot of time with Dana Carvey, and at one point we tried to put all of his information into this 
basically this computer printout. So when he went on the road, he could have all this stuff. He had like, it was like 85 or 100 pages worth of stuff. Yeah. And it was all neatly organized. And he got back from this trip. He says, this isn't working. I said, well, everything you have is, it's all categorized. We have it by thing. He says, it's perfect. He says, but my brain doesn't work like this. And his system that he's always had for years is, is basically a, you know, a sheet of yellow legal pad that has like a flow chart that has arrows and circles. And if, if I do this bit and it gets a laugh, I'll go to this bit. If it doesn't get yeah. a laugh, I'll go to this bit. And we had to, you know, jettison the whole thing, the whole book system, because it just wasn't the way his mind worked. So it's really you know interesting. I, I would think a, a really good. I'm sorry for interrupting. I didn't. I, I think you were coming to the the close of that yes. thought. Yep. Um, the the thing that I've always thought would be kind of cool would be a coffee table book of comedians' handwritten set lists. Uh, say, or if they're typed, they're typed set lists. Just because I think you look at a comic set list and it tells you a lot about who that comic is, just how they've written it out, how it's organized, what they've chose, you know, how much of the, the name of the bit is in the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be that would be a fascinating thing to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now do you have comics that you're, uh, obviously, as the show goes on, you're going to be booking more people, but are there sort of, you know, gets that you're hoping to book uh, that you're just going, man, I can hardly wait till I get to talk to so-and-so? Well, you brought up Dana Carvey. I really want to talk to him. I, I ran into him at a comedy club, and he said, yeah, I'll do it. And I've been emailing with him, but it's been going on forever. I haven't been able to, to close it, as they say. I may be able to help you close that gap. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be terrific. He, he was just, I did a live show from uh, the Improv at the beginning of February with him and his two sons who are now in co- getting into comedy. And uh, Wayne Fetterman, we had kind of a round table. Uh, Wayne was on uh, the show too, Wayne yeah, Fetterman. I terrific. love Wayne, he's terrific. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, let, uh, I'll see what I can do. Um, I, no promises, yeah, but uh, he's been I'm, on my show about four times. So I would, I would really appreciate the help. Absolutely. I've, I've been emailing with him. I've been emailing with Fred Armisen, who I'd really like to get on. Um, and and these are guys. These are the guys who I'm emailing with who 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 said, "Yeah, I'll do it." But I just uh, we haven't been able to yeah make it happen yet. And uh, I've been on the on the phone, believe it or not, with Mort Sal for the past two months trying to figure oh. out a time to do it. Yeah, he's up here in Marin. Lives up yeah. in the valley. Yeah. So that's that's the plan. Is to come up there sometime in the next few weeks. Oh, okay, cool. Um, well, so you know, definitely let me know if you're you're heading up this way because I'm about five minutes from the theater. That that would be great. Uh, some some dream comics to interview for this show that it's never been able to happen. Um, I w- I would love to be able to do one, obviously, with Woody Allen, mm. um, who I think is you know a, no secret that he's a great philosophizer. Sure. Um, and Steve Martin, who I understand majored in philosophy, I someone think, told me. I think that may be true. Um, I, uh, I once talked to Eric Idle about doing the show, and he seemed pretty into it and enthused. He said there's a book of Monty Python and philosophy. Um, they used to do a lot of jokes and bits about philosophers on Monty Python, I remember. I think they had a whole song about Immanuel Kant, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I guess I, I might have misrepresented some, something in this interview. I love the philosophy. It's not like I, it's not like I'm not into it. I've really that's what I've learned from the show uh, more than anything is that I I love these I I love the thoughts. I I just don't care about the philosophers themselves. <laughs> I, 
I just love philosophical thinking. Well, I like the distinction between their, the thoughts and the men. Yeah, I couldn't care very much about, you know, the lives of Plato or, you know, Aristotle or... Actually, I kind of am interested in the life of Aristotle, but most of them, you know, Immanuel Kant and, and all, all these guys that I've talked about on the show, I'm not so interested in them, and I don't remember the quotes, and I never say, you know, uh, you know, Spinoza once said, you know, because I don't really remember what they said. I couldn't even remember the name of the guy I talked to Brian Regan about, and that was just recent. <laughs> but my, my brain doesn't work like that. I, I But I remember ideas, you know. One thing that I that's, that's really struck me... Um, throughout all this, and I don't know if it can be attributed to one philosopher or, or to many, is just the idea that I, at some point it, it occurred to me that there's really no need for the word happiness in the English English language. It's, it's a redundant word, and it's a misleading word, because people are always like, how do I find happiness? And it's like, uh, it's like a Loch Ness monster. It's not, there is no such thing as happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of appreciation. Hmm. And, uh, it's a feeling that you get. It's really just appreciation, honestly. It, being feeling appreciative for anything is feeling happy. You know, so if you're if you are in any situation, you can find what to appreciate in that situation, or you could focus on the negative aspects of that situation, and that's what you you would call depression. Interesting. So so if you live in 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 the in the what you don't have in life you you're depressed and if you and if you ever stop and look at any situation and and focus on what you do have and take a moment to to be grateful for that thing that's that's happiness so it's things like this that I yeah I was talking to Doug Stanhope about we were talking about this idea of the oneness and how um, there's this energy that's transferred, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of philosophers basically are talking about God, but they, they call it the oneness or something else and, or an energy that's transferred through all living creatures and whichever word you choose for it, it's an interesting thing to talk about. And I was telling him how I, I've had this moment with my tortoise, uh, where I'm sitting on the couch and I'm staring at my tortoise. And uh, I know the tortoise hates me because, he, <laughs> you know, he, he loves my wife. She feeds him, and uh, and he doesn't like me. He always nips my toes when I'm not paying attention. He never does that to my wife. Whenever she picks him up, he's very friendly with her. Uh, whenever I pick him up, he pees on me, and he, he he makes hissing noises through his nostrils at me. He doesn't like me. Is he a, a free-roaming tortoise? Yeah, I, I you know... To quote my own act, I let him walk around the living room to feel like a Colombian drug dealer, but I really just wind up picking up tortoise shit <laughs> at the end of the day. But um, but yeah, I let him walk around the house, and and he hangs out with the dogs in the sunny spot on the carpet, and the <laughs> they all lie in the sun spot. Um, but I had this moment where we were having a stare off, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm looking into the eye of my tortoise, and I was thinking. The same spark that's keeping me alive is keeping this tortoise alive. We're on it's the same frequency. We're both running on the same batteries right now. Huh. You know? So whatever philosopher I was talking to Stanhope about, 
two days ago, and I already forget the name, uh, was talking about, I think, was talking about that same idea. Oh, interesting. Um, anything that you could recommend that listeners do to draw a greater appreciation for what these conversations you're having are? They just sort of, they speak for themselves and sort of no, uh, no information or instruction necessary. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that people, a misconception people have is that they have to know about philosophy to appreciate the show. I think nothing could be farther from the truth there. I don't even know about philosophy, and I host the show. So, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't, and the guests also, I always have to talk them into it. They're like, I'm not, I don't know about philosophy. I go, I don't know about philosophy. That's the whole point. Let's do this. <laughs> So, I mean, it's probably the least pretentious philosophy show out there. Um, well, I think, it, Danny, I think it comes off great. I've, I've certainly enjoyed the episodes I've caught and uh, intend to catch more, including the one with Mr. Regan coming up, which I uh, think I said earlier, but drops on April 20th. Yes. Um, and people can find that at your home site, I imagine. Modern, philosophers.net, and the show's also on... SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. That might be it. I said I said that as if there was going to be another thing in the in the rhythm of how I said that, but I think it's only on those three things. That's true, but you know what? It, it gets probably gets distributed other places as well. As I found out, people start picking it up, and it gets sent out through things like PodBay and places like that. that oh uh, yeah, I think it is on those, and maybe Google Play too. Yeah, so uh, you just um, I think it's funny people say, "Here's where you can find the show," and they're listening to the show, so they must have known where to find it. But uh, right in this case, we'll make sure that they. Uh, they know to go to, to the home site. And like I said, uh, hope to play a few pieces of, uh, of the interview um, to whet their appetites. Absolutely. I'll send you some clips. That'd be great. And uh, if you do uh, hook up with Lucy Mercer and Mort Saul, let me know if you're heading up this way. And we'll do a, a, a more of a piece of getting into uh, the, the life and times of uh, Danny LaBelle. If you know Lucy, put in a word also. I, uh, she's, she said we could do it. and uh, But I, I mean... It wouldn't. It wouldn't hurt. I will send her a note as soon as we get off here. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Man. You know, it's cool. Uh, I, I, I actually got you know Mort. Like I said, he called me, and uh, that's great. I don't know. I'm just such a fan of Mort Sal. I'm, you know, I'm, ex I'm just excited to. You know, what? I'll tell you one that didn't work out. I really wanted to talk to Jerry Lewis, and uh, somebody put us in touch, hmm. and and I called Jerry and. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it's crazy he's an icon you know sure it's like a voice that that, that you've grown up listening to the nutty professor and and hello you know he <laughs> picks up and it's jerry lewis on the phone I'm like oh my god it's it's like it's it's insane you know yeah. you're, you're you're like wow on somewhere in the world right now on a phone is jerry lewis talking to me <laughs> this is bizarre you know, even though I've talked to a lot of these great famous comedians, it's just like Jerry Lewis or something about him. That's like, uh, I, I just, I'll, I'll plug another upcoming episode. I did one, one of these modern day philosophers with Dana Gould recently. Love Dana. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was great. And he talked to me about how he recently met Paul McCartney and it was like meeting the Statue of Liberty if it came to life. <laughs> so I, I mean, I guess that's a good parable to use for how it felt to have Jerry Lewis on the phone. It was, uh, it was so I, I pitched the show to Jerry Lewis, and and um, 
I said, and, and you know, I'd love to, to come out and do this, talk with you. And without even a second, he goes, not a chance. <laughs> so, wow. so not wanting to give up right away, you know, and, and uh, half, half trying to still sell him on the idea and half trying to be cute and funny. I go, you know, is there any chance that we could turn no chance into some chance? And he goes, no, there's no chance. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wanted to catch him in an Abbott and Costello routine there. Yeah, that's but, funny. Uh, <laughs> so there's no chance that there's some chance. There's some chance that there's no chance that there's some But <laughs> <laughs> Now, do you have any uh, appearances you want to plug while we're on? Any place where you're doing stand-up? Uh, I will plug this. I do a monthly show. I do a lot of shows. I'm all around L.A. every night. But I have a monthly show that is my show at the Hollywood Improv. It's the first Tuesday of the month, every month. And it's a storytelling show that I invented. It's oh. called Bookshelf. And it's uh, there's every comedian's on stage with a bookshelf, which is literally filled with all kinds of books. Fiction, nonfiction, biography, uh, even comic books, uh, cookbooks, all kinds of books. And they go to a bucket, and they pull out a slip that tells them what kind of book to take off the shelf. And then they they take off of the book, and they tell the audience, this book, uh, take a look at it, and you can see how thick it is, and just give me a page number that you think, you know, because you know, you could tell a book yeah. is 300 or 200 pages, whatever. So people yell out, like, page 34, page 102. And they turn to that page, and they start reading the page on stage out loud. Until something on that page sparks a true story from their life, and they go into a story off of off of the page in the book. Oh, that's a great and, great idea for a show. Yeah, so it's check that out when I get back down to L.A. Yeah, please do. And uh, we just did one Bobcat. We had uh, Bobcat Goldthwait on. It was really fun. Um, and and Tom Rhodes has has done it, and Alonzo Bowden. And it's very interesting because you take these comedians. And and you're taking away any notion of preparation, any kind of, uh, um, nobody's going into it. You can't prepare for it because yeah. you don't know what page and what book you're going to get. And you have to, and everybody's trying to, to, to take something from their life and keep it entertaining in, in the form of a story. So people are literally developing material right in front of you every single time. That's fantastic. It sounds like a great, great opportunity to catch some creativity and process. Yeah. Well, that's terrific. Uh, Danny, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for letting me go on and on, too. Oh, no problem. And continued success with uh, Modern Day Philosophers and uh, your other endeavors as well. It always feels great to be interviewed, you know. Uh, you feel like somebody. You, Danny, you are somebody. <laughs> well, everybody's somebody. No, but you're you, a little, you're you a little are, more for the few minutes that somebody cares to interview you. Yeah, you're more somebody than a lot of other people. I don't know if that's true, but it, but it <laughs> felt good. It felt right. so good that you that you took interest and that you like what I do and that you're presenting it to people for me. And I can't thank you enough. It's my pleasure, and look forward to meeting you face to face one of these days soon. Yeah, Mill Valley, hopefully in a few weeks. All right. Everything goes well, I'll, I'll be out there. Fingers crossed. All right. All right, Danny, well. thanks so much. You too. Good night. Thanks. Good night. I have always been much more intrigued with people in this world who have changed their mind than people who have 
come out of their childhood or started, you know, a lot of people hit on a philosophy either in their teens or early 20s and they just ride that until they die. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes I feel those people do not challenge themselves. I'm much more intrigued with hearing someone who has changed his or her mind and I want to know why. Um, I read a book recently about a person who was an atheist who now believes in God and I wanted to read the book. What, what, what was the tipping point? What changed your mind? Because that to me is much more interesting than somebody that is just reading what already supports what they believe. Right. What's the point? You're just filling yourself with what's already there. I would rather, for myself, challenge myself, but I would also I enjoy talking with people who are more in a state of wonder. Like, well, this is what I believe now, but I'm open to hearing what you, you or you have to say to maybe take this a, a different direction in my mind. Right. Anybody who's set in one opinion, I don't trust right away. Because how, how are you so set in that opinion when there's so many great objecting opinions? You know, there's so many opinions that are, are so strong and they oppose what your, your opinion. How could you be so secure in that opinion? That, that's why, you know, what kills me is when you watch these uh, political shows, obviously they're more and more polarized because that's what gets the ratings. And then you've got people that either just, you know, gravitate to the right or gravitate towards the left. And they're just looking to hear what they already believe as reinforcement. And even the people on the shows, the talking heads... When will you ever hear anybody say, wow, you're right about that? I never looked at it that way. And um, you, you, don't, you never hear that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I just wish more people would go, wow, you said something that changed how I think about that. What's the point of listening mm -hmm. if you're not ever going to be open to changing, you know? Sorry. I, I agree I, with I, you. I'm worried you got people out there that oh, this is want what to hear we do. my. This is what we do. The whole point is not the want to hear my, my armpit fart noise that I was <laughs> teasing them about. They're they're waiting. When well, when's he going to do it? This, this when's is going to stop talking about this. <laughs> this is what the show is for. The mm. philosopher is just to get you going. Oh, okay. <laughs> just to get your philosophies on things. This is. But but that that's always, you know, I want to approach every moment in life as a possibility of changing have there been moments in your life where you've completely changed your mind on yes things? or do any of them come to mind that you can well the religious thing you know the the god or no god you know that's um you know that that's probably one of the most important things that people can wonder about in life so, and uh you know and I've, I've i've vacillated several times in my life you know and i have a position now that uh what's know, the current position um th there's a there's a a niche within agnosticism, I'm, I'm kind of at the agnostic stage where um, my attitude is I don't know. There could be, there couldn't be. You know, um, I don't know. My, my attitude is I'm not qualified or capable of knowing. There are several niches within agnosticism? There's a niche within that where you can think that I feel that way and also you must feel that way. <laughs> Not must feel that way, right. but you also don't know. Mm -hmm. Despite what you believe, my attitude is I don't know. I, there, there, to me, there is so much evidence for a God, but there are also some interesting arguments for there not being a God. You know, it could be this big, crazy, um, bizarre, weird accident. 
that we're just all here and we don't know what this is. Um, and I just feel as a human being, even though I've, I've weighed everything, I still am incapable of, of making a decision and being a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's could be, couldn't be, but I also feel another division within, within agnosticism is I don't think you over there know either, even though you might be on this side, you might believe there is, or you might believe there's not. Because mm-hmm. so I you're think an agnostic who believes everyone's agnostic. No, no, no. Agnostic, agnosticism. I don't know how to put it. You might, you might think that you know that there's a God, but I believe that you don't know. Right. So you're an agnostic who believes that people who don't think they're agnostic are agnostic. Yes, and unless agnosticism is the the belief in your own soul that you know that you don't know. Thanks to Danny for the chat. I'm not sure, and I didn't ask him, but it seems like for his part of the interview, he was traveling around parts of Los Angeles in his car. (laughs) If you'd like to hear him more stationary, be sure to listen to Modern Day Philosophers, either downloaded from his home site at moderndayphilosophers.net or iTunes or other places some of which you should be able to stream his show rather than download it, all depending how you like to consume your podcastery. All right, I'm going to sort through these messages I have in the tweet sack while our friend Abner Surge sings a song about bees. Oh, we're happy that winter is finally done and the geese are returning in flocks. But the green-growing things are still dreaming of spring. We need some natural alarm clocks. Send in the bees, 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 bees to buzz around the sleeping bushes and the trees and sing a wake-up song in dandelions. Here come the bees, 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 they're buzzing on the breeze. Oh, there's a burbling brook in the valley below, and it's home to the wild hollyhocks. But the flowers are late, and the butterflies wait, instead of buzzing like alarm clocks. Send in the bees, 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 they buzz around the sleeping bushes and the trees, and sing awake. Up song in crimson cloveries. Here come the bees, bees, bees. They're buzzing on the breeze. Oh, there's a cave way up high in the mountains above, and a bear sleeps up there in the rocks. And he's waiting for spring because honey's his thing, and he gets honey from alarm clocks. Send in the bees, 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 bees. They buzz around the sleeping bushes and the trees and sing a wake-up song in hibernation. Here come the bees, bees, bees. They're buzzing on the breeze. Abner's got his own show you can get via iTunes called Tall Tales and Shaggy Dogs, featuring what he calls stories and short humor, and a lot more songs like the one you just heard. You can also follow him at Abner Surd, that's A-B-N-E-R-S-E-R-D on Twitter. And Abner also had a birthday last week, so happy birthday, Ab. And you can tweet him up and give him a belated happy birthday message as well. We've got the electronic equivalent of cards and letters just waiting for me to get to them, courtesy of the tweet sack. 
Hello, sweetie. Let's have a peek, shall we? First up is a note from the aforementioned Abner Surd, who tweets, Loving at RevT23's musical interludes. I hope they're going to be a regular feature, unquote. For those who don't know, at RevT23 is the Twitter handle for our very own associate producer, Tyson Saner. And yes, we've been digging his music as well, and we'll continue to feature it as it becomes available. He's working on a couple of things just for our Succotash listeners, including a piece based on some samples I gave him from Boozin' with Bill. I'm also hoping for a custom music bed to go under our Reading of Gratitude that tops off the Tweet Sack segment every uh, episode. I've been going out there and finding stuff that's... um, uh, free, dom- d- free domain, and uh, you can just sort of play it, and it's usually old stuff from like the 20s. So that would be cool to have something fresh for that. I got a DM from Alec from Axel Morales Romero that says simply, Hi. That's it. Hi. Well, thanks, Axel. We are tweeted out by Jim Harris of the Avenue G Podcast, which reads, quote, The Avenue G Podcast crew plants a tree for Earth Day. Uh-oh, plant-based comedy and song, unquote. Then there's a link to their latest episode. We will check that out. Maybe we'll clip it in the next episode. You should check them out, too. Hop on over to that home site, Avenue G number 1, Avenue G1 at podomatic.com. A direct message from the Jody and Scott show says they've checked out our show and really enjoyed it, that it's a cool concept. Well, thanks, Jody, and thanks, Scott. Got a nice thank you tweet from the Poop Culture Podcast for clipping them on recent Epi 131. You are welcome, guys. They also say that their names, uh, which I gave them some crap over, the Booby Brothers and Man Crush, are legit. And they have the birth certificates to prove it. Sounds like a cast only a truther like Donald Trump could get to the bottom of. Don't make me call him. Had a mention on Twitter from the Tangent Lounge that reads, quote, Rock on, succotash, unquote. And finally, the unoriginal podcast from Ireland also sent a nice thank you tweet for clipping their show in Epi 131. Appreciate that, guys. Now it's time once again to thank those folks who were kind enough to tweet, retweet, DM, favorite, follow, like, or otherwise mention Succotash in their social media during the past week or so. Pod Cheese, Broken Filter Live Show, Q Plot Device, Bitch Podcast, Josh Nelson, Stefano Di Persio, Sean Parker, Ed Wallet, Rabbit Stew Comics, Jason Jabs McNamara, Isaac S. Loftus, Hunter Block, The Hay Bay, Comedy Film Nerds, Lori Kilmartin, Corky Knievel, California Tacos, KJ Wakefield, Dave in the Cave, Matt Knudsen, Language of Bromance, Choo Choo Stew, King Ape Brand, Bill White, Robbie Lenz, DAPF Pod Annalise, Constant Struggle Pod, Jeffrey Welchman, Brian Tulp, Louise Palanker, Quee Quee Carew, Ice in the Face, Good Morning You Drunks, Martin McGuire, Super PP Time, Real Rats Podcast, Academia Apps, Kyle Andrews, That Hippo George, Derek Barra, Radio Rubber Room, Chris Brake Show, Is There There There? Geek Yogurt Podcast, Podcast Stack, Brett Walker, Are You Not Entertained? Paco and George, Pack Money, Conrad and Jack Show, Kylie Sturgis, Nick G, Christine Blackburn, Mimi Toll, Remain Event Comedy, Off Kilter Podcast, Landa Moreland, Courting Comedy, Bright and Shiny, Making Dad Show, Backstage with 
hashtag RDM. Japanese Dracoli, JFYFC Podcast, Illusionoid, Stuart Rice, In a Pavel, The Slants, Chrissy Garcia, Mount Rushmore Podcast, Ben Bailey, Salty Language Podcast, Dan Freeman, Motherhood in Hollywood, Matt Gondek, Emma Jones, Jenny Belly, Michelle McGlade, Instagrams 2, The Fake Ass Radio Show, Raining Lunatic, Drew Bennett, Podcast Dan, Austin Mays, Stephanie, Hers in History, Cab 316, Emily Winfield, Hot Pockets, The Naked Porch Podcast, Spare Men, which is a new communications app. In fact, if you'd like to talk to me live sometime, get yourself the Spare Men app and hit me up under my handle, at Hershko. All right, jumping back in. The Gratitude Stream, there's Patrick O., Floyd R. Billet, Simon Dunant, Kirsten Chambers, Alex Brizel, Ned Kenny, Allison Baver, Sarah Tenabine, The CISO Sea Show, Andy Goddard, Regine Drummonds, Mary Louise Radis, Devin and Banano, Live from the Studio Podcast, The Illusionist Podcast, The Leisure Hour Podcast, Lloyd Kaufman, Couple Things Podcast, Alex Fasella, Betty Betty Nice, Wayne Fetterman, Kyle Andrews, Bootleg Bootleg Podcast, Radio Random Network, Jazzlene Lady, Shyless Tripathi, Towers, Hard On Podcast, Tim McBain, Sharon Mazakote, David the Producer, The All Seeing Guys, Sean Burke, Jen, also known as Sky All Violet, and she sent me a long email. Gonna have to wait for the next time to dig into that one. Joshua Davidson, Tauntaun Vito, John Wilkins, Cranky Mama 2, Reverend John M. Price, John Baggs, With the Radio On, The Wayne Foundation, Tiger and Sacco Jones, Benjamin Lawrence, Playing in the Shadows, and Gold. That's it. Just gold. Thanks again for your kind notes and social media support. Please take a minute or two to head over to iTunes to look us up, Succotash Show, then rate and review us. All right, let's pull over here for a quick, refreshing burst o durst. Once again, he seems to have it in for this Trump fellow. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about Donald J. Trump being wrong pretty much all the time. Except when he isn't. One thing he got right. Should he become president, Mexico indeed will build a wall to control our immigration. Hey, get me the hell out of here, poor favor. Hell, Canada might have to build one as well. Hey, let me in there, you hoser. See will play, hey. Donnie John is also right about making America more religious, because when he moves into the White House, people are going to start praying like you wouldn't believe. After being aced out by Ted Cruz, for all the Colorado and Wyoming delegates, Trump started flailing like a goose on a boat, trying to take off with its feet nailed to the deck, screaming about the system being rigged. And you know what? He's not far off on that one either. But hey, this isn't about democracy, it's party politics. Same with Bernie. Yes, the Democrats have rules more murky, shady, and malleable than a catfish trap in the Mississippi Delta made out of pasta. Maybe that's why you never ran as a Democrat until this year. Trump also occasionally stumbles into the lobby of the correct city hotel by adopting so many different stances. 
Trump University should offer a course that teaches the blind squirrel nutfinder method of politics. First, he supported an assault weapons ban and background checks, then the opposite. Told Larry King he favored universal health care. Now, not so much. Since 1999, he switched from Republican to Independent to Democrat to Independent to Republican again. He's the carousel candidate. Started out pro-choice, became anti-choice, and is now multiple choice. And why do his supporters love him so much? Because he tells it like it is. Sure he does. No matter what side of the issue you're on, Trump has already been there. Less of a man for all seasons, more like a man for all reasons. For Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. There's your second burst of Durst. You can catch Will Durst tweeting at Will Durst if you like, or visit his home site. Gave it to you before. Here it is once again, willdurst.com. And again, I will be interviewing Will next week when he's at the Punchline, and we'll feature that interview on our very next Suckatash Chats episode. Thanks again to our special guest, Danny LaBelle, and thank you, yes, you, for downloading or streaming this episode. Appreciate all you do, but we'd love you even more if you remember to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotage. Goodbye.